And let's repeat together. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, would you high-five your neighbor and, or maybe a fist pound and just let them know that you, you appreciate it. In fact, turn to your, turn to your uh, uh, neighbor and say, hey, you know God loves you. All right. Again, dads, we are proud of you, proud to have you here, grateful for your influence, grateful for your input. And so, dads, that's a tough job. Anybody can be a father, but somebody special has to be a dad. Heard that before, haven't you? But it is true. It is true. And so I hope if your father is still alive, your dad's still alive, that you'll uh, take a chance to say hello. And Dad, I love you. Doesn't matter if he's uh, upset you over the years, just put all that behind you. Life's too short, folks. Life's way too short. Uh, let's love each other a whole lot more than we hate each other. Amen? Because it really doesn't do much good to hate. It'll keep you out of heaven if you're not careful. <laughs> that old root of bitterness. Let's get rid of that thing. Perhaps you've heard the story of the chicken cannon. Anybody heard the story of the chicken cannon? The United States Air Force uh, wanted to help commercial airlines, and so commercial airlines approached them, and uh, they uh, really do fire dead chickens at aircraft. It's a safety issue. Uh, they want to, because airplanes do encounter birds flying in the air, so they wanted to see if a chicken would bust through the windshield of an airplane. Well, as the urban legend carries it, the British constructed a new locomotive that would pull a train faster than it ever had before. They wanted to try this theory because they were concerned about the safety of the windshield. So they borrowed the chicken cannon and they set it at the approximate speed of the uh, locomotive, loaded the dead chicken, and fired away. The bird went through the windshield, broke the engineer's chair, and made a dent in the back wall of the engine cab. As you might imagine, the train testers were very surprised, and they, they were troubled with this result. And so the British asked for a review of the test, and it was done, and the results came back. And, and, and when they came back, it says the test should be repeated, but it would be best to use a chicken that's not frozen. <laughs> when your family's at risk, it's important to fire any chicken, but make sure they're not frozen chickens at those families and especially towards your home. It, can you imagine the destruction that a flying frozen chicken can create in your house? Parents who ignore the Bible's very clear instructions, very real destruction is on its way. The title of today's message is Parenting Isn't for Chickens. It's not for frozen chickens aimed at your house. It's not for timid adults afraid to follow biblical principles. I want us to focus this morning in those Bibles you held up in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So if you'll turn there, we're going to pick it up at verse 10. 
great story, and we need to understand some principles from this story. Let me kind of set the story up. It's the story of Eli and his sons, and they find disaster that followed years of ignored compromise. Eli was a spiritual leader in Israel and the father of two sons. Both of them were priests. All three men died on the same day. And if you could find a notation on their death certificate, it probably would say, cause of death, collision with the chicken of compromise. When the father compromised on the clear instructions of the Bible, he and his sons, their families and their country, suffered terrible damage. Let's pick up our story in 1 Samuel chapter 4. In verse 10, So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now I don't know about you, but I've not met too many young men named Hophni and Phinehas. Any, anybody? The same day a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set so that he could not see. Brother Ralph is just a young, a young kid to, to Eli here. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. What an interesting story. Three principles about family I want to give you this morning if you want to be a successful parent. Number one, compromise is the enemy of good parenting. Compromise is the enemy of good parenting. Some things can be compromised. If you have a toddler who loves green beans but won't eat broccoli, pick your battles. As your child grows older, rules change and practically have to. A four-year-old might, might need a 7 p.m. bedtime, but by the time they're a teenager, it's the parents who need the 7 p.m. bedtime. <laughs> Some compromise is a part of life. Amen? 
It really is. You don't have to have the last word. Or do you? You see, if you do, then there's going to be conflict. So isn't it better just to smile? Men, isn't it better to look at your wife and say, Okay, honey, whatever you want. Isn't it a lot easier, guys, to do that? I didn't say it was cheaper. I just said it was easier. I got a call yesterday afternoon and was told that the gift I was going to receive was harder to purchase than the person buying it thought. And would I be willing to go later and help them purchase it? Yeah, we didn't go, but I was just grateful for the thought. You know, it's uh, pretty easy when you learn that some compromise is okay. But when it comes to biblical principles, no compromise is good. No compromise is good. Eli and his sons didn't get to where they were overnight. They didn't wake up one morning and decide to immerse themselves in compromise and doing evil. It took Eli 98 years to die in the midst of disaster. Well, they started slow, most of us do, but it worked their way. Their lives worked their way into a very terrible mess. Perhaps it's been a while since you reviewed the lives of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. I pray today that you won't forget who these people are. Eli's sons dove into the deep end of sin. If you look in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and verse 12, you will find this. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Have you known some good people, Christian, godly people, whose kids didn't turn out to be so? You see, Eli's sons fattened themselves by stealing from the sacrifices. If you go on to read in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, the priests were supposed to randomly stab boiled meat from a selection of the sacrifices that was reserved for the priesthood and the priests. Eli's sons weren't satisfied with just a little bit of the meat. Uh, they wanted a lot of the meat, and they wanted the finest cuts of meat. They would take the meat before it was cooked, prepare it, to their own taste. To the people of Israel, this must have been a shocking display of self-centeredness. Let me pause here a minute and say this. People want to serve God. You can't give Him enough of what you have. Can I get an amen? You really do. You want to give Him everything you have and the best of what you have. Amen. Oftentimes that is translated to us pastors. You will give of your time and your talent and your treasures to help us, to benefit us. The difficulty comes not in your gift, but in my greediness of receiving a gift. You see, we have to be very careful. Pastors can fall quickly. And we have to be very careful. It's not the fact that you shouldn't offer, but if a pastor should not necessarily reject the gift, but not be comfortable receiving the gift, please understand where they're coming from as well. God wants our, our best, our very best. Time 
talent and treasures. He wants them. And really, he deserves them much more than I do. So I want to encourage you to give of your very best to God, who in turn will bless your preacher and who in turn will bless you. Eli and his sons had lost sight of that. Their greediness, their self-centeredness caused them over the years to compromise. And Hophni and Phinehas became obsessed with physical satisfaction, starting in what they put in their, on their plates, but it wasn't just their poor physical fitness, it was spiritual fitness. You see, they were stealing from God. They exhibited their disdain for God before the entire nation, for they had no shame. They corrupted the servants of the temple. They had rampant sexual sin. If you look in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 22, it says they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It's the only time that you'll ever see a reference to women serving at the entrance of the tabernacle or the temple. And it's stated such in a negative way. Men are to be the servant leaders. Men stand up and be counted. We need men today more than ever. We've got good men running loose that are letting women do the leading. Stop it. Stand up. If the kid's in trouble, you be the guy that brings that trouble home. When that belt unwinds from your waist, hmm, if you're like me, it helped them because they got a little extra run on me because I couldn't catch them. My pants were falling down. So I had to find another method. We didn't take the belt off. We had something else to work with. But they all three know when I would say, let's head to the laundry room, they meant we weren't going to do uh, uh, clothes. You understand what I'm saying? You be that guy. You be that person, dads, because it's important. God puts you in that position, and it will help your wife as well. But the compromising sins of Eli's sons also affected Eli himself. If you look in chapter 4, verse 18, we read it just earlier. Let's look at it again. It says, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate, broke his neck, and he died. He was an old man and heavy. What does it mean that Eli was heavy? Was that a physical description? Well, perhaps. I mean, after all, he had begun to eat stolen meat from the sacrifices. and I can just picture it. He could smell the temptation. You see, Eli had eaten boiled roast for so long at some point, he began to smell T-bone sizzling over at Hophni's grill. <laughs> that seasoning that he had put on there. And we had Brandon cook for a women's thing one, one year. Man, I'm telling you what, you ladies still talking about that. There's, if there's one thing that young man can do, he can cook. And that ain't a bad thing. And anytime he wants to cook, he can call me. I'm ready to come over. Praise God. All right. So we've got to understand that, that uh, the temptation was there and that Eli had fallen prey to the temptation and he had given in in a great way. But compromise, compromise will cause problems and compromise is the enemy of godly parents today. If parents allow television to go unguarded, Images, language, teachings will come into the home that are evil and immoral. The promotion of homosexuality is a valid lifestyle choice is a main message of the entertainment media today. I still, it still gets me in the gut when I watch TV and, and they make them so funny, but 
Oh, when they're sleeping in the same bed together on television, something wrong, folks. They're conditioning in us to accept things, to compromise. The message of sexual promiscuity among teens is one of the most often repeated themes in popular television. If television is left to its messages without parental control, parents shouldn't be surprised at the ungodly opinions that children begin to display. Internet, there's another one. Parents don't supervise it. Stay involved. Your kids can get in serious trouble in an amazingly amount, short amount of time. If your battle's between broccoli and green beans, count your blessings. <laughs> and it's okay to compromise. But there's some things... The battle for godliness, the battle between godliness and evil, godly parents, hold your ground. Hold your ground. So compromise is the enemy of godly parenting, first of all. Secondly, God, God holds parents responsible for their children's training. <laughs> I had a dad growing up who didn't mind if we went to church. In fact, he would take us and drop us off and come back to get us. He never stayed. Never stayed. We'd always go with my mother and my grandmother and my aunt, go to the Church of Christ. Kenneth Milholland, our song leader, in the war he lost these two tops of his fingers so he would lead like a hook em horns. That's how he'd lead the worship. I later found out that's what that meant also in sign language, I love you, but, you know, he was, well, he would just do that. And I always thought that was funny. For some reason as a kid, he didn't have any fingers in his mouth. Whoa, that's, that's not right. But I never would take communion. When I was a kid, because my grandmother and my aunt dipped snuff, and it was a one-cup place. <laughs> and as the little pass came, as a little cup came by, you looked down there. It was awful dark. I just passed it right along. So, when I got to the Christian church, we had individual cups. I threw my hands up. Ah, Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. But God holds parents responsible for the. Children's training in 1 Samuel 2, God sent a nameless prophet to tell Eli to get his family's act together. The warning came in love. I mean, after all, he loved Eli enough to send somebody to talk to him. He says, correct your counsel, your course. You're headed for disaster. The warning was an effort to get Eli to do something to change his family's course of action. Eli heard the message, told his sons they were wrong, but like a lot of parents, he didn't, that is Eli, he didn't exercise his responsibility to act when his boys wouldn't change their ways. He chose to do nothing according to chapter 2 and verses 22 through 25. But when Eli didn't move beyond words, when he didn't take action, those continued compromises led to, a, to more compromises and then eventually to a day of disaster. Eventually, God sent a hard message to Eli through the boy prophet Samuel. In chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it says this, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Dads, you get in the face of your child and you stop them from whatever they're trying to do. Well, they're going to rebel and run away. You lost them anyway. 
that are going to tell you, well, if you don't, if you don't back up, Dad, I'm just going to leave. Do you have enough courage to go pack a suitcase for them and set it on the front porch and say, enjoy life? That's tough love, isn't it? That's what they call it. But no, 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 no. That ain't how we do it today, preacher. You've lost your mind. You've lost your mind, preacher. When the kids stand up to me, I've got to compromise because I, you know, it's, it's a bad, bad world out there. And if they walk out that door and they don't come back, they could die out on the street. They could die right in your bedroom from the drug abuse they're doing. Youth minister, years ago, I was in the church and had an intern stay with a the family. They volunteered to take him because their teenage son was rebellious, they said. Well, the intern came to me and he said, hey, I think that kid's smoking marijuana. I said, what? He said, oh, yeah. He said, man, it, it smells bad in his room at night. Now, this was a kid that wore those kind of glasses that went dark when he came inside. I mean, really dark. He never would take his glasses off because his eyes would be dilated. He'd give himself away. And I'll tell you what. I asked the parents if they thought their son was doing drugs. And here's, how, here's what the mom said. Well, I would just check that out. So the next night, intern is sitting in the other room, right? She goes and knocks on his door that is locked. Son, are you doing drugs in there? <laughs> to which you hear, <laughs> No, Mom. Okay, honey, I just wanted to check. I got a call the next day and called everything but a white person. I was accusing of her son of drug abuse. I was accusing her son of being a drug dealer. I was doing all kinds of things to her son. You see, that's what happens when parents say, yeah, it's all right. Ah, it's just a small thing. Parents, I would, you, I would have you consider this. Words of warning are never enough. God expects you to take action to correct sin problems. And it may be, dads, moms, that you've got to look in the mirror and clean that person up first. You can't expect a child to stop drinking beer when you do. You can't stop them to, from smoking if you do it. You can holler at them all you want to. But till you clean up, why should they? You're their example. You're their hero. Well, Dad doesn't think going to church is important, so why should I go? And the older they get, the more that means. You see, that's all right if the women want to take them. Mama can take them to church. That's okay. It's what the women ought to be doing now. You see who God's talking to here? Eli's not female. <laughs> Eli's not mama. Eli's the prophet of God. It's been said that preacher's kids are the worst kids. And I contend over the years, I've been at this now 34 years, it's because of the influence of those elders' kids that causes my kids to go bad. <laughs> Truth hurts, doesn't it? Share the load, I'm sharing the load. God expects you to take actions. Even if you live for God, your children may not follow the ways of God, folks. Even if you do. Samuel eventually became a father himself. Ironically, his sons were just like Eli's sons. 
But Samuel was different from Eli. When his sons had a chance to be promoted as key leaders of Israel, Samuel agreed with the other key leaders of Israel that his sons' compromises eliminated them from the possibility of leading the country. You'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 8. But unlike Eli, Samuel never heard a dire warning from God's prophets about the actions of his sons. Samuel had done his part. He had held his ground against compromise. And while there must have been grief in Samuel's heart, there was no horrible day of disaster for his family. And God expects parents of today to be people not of words only, but also of action. Dads, you might need to just put your arm around your child and hug them. Dad, you just might need to do that. You don't have to have a reason. They're going to look at you funny. Because if you don't do it very often, they look at you funny. We were blessed as our children were, were growing up in school. I took them to school and I picked them up from school. And it bugged them when I brought the church van to pick them up. They would walk down the street as though I weren't even there and make me come pick them up somewhere else away from their friends. I never could get that figured out. <laughs> and I'd always ask them, have you been an encourager today? Did you make a new friend today? And I would always get the same answer, no, no, no. Because I expected something out of them. But I also wanted to be involved in them. I was involved in the PTAG. I was involved at school. Why? Because I wanted the teachers to know who I was so that they could keep an extra eye on my kid. I had ulterior motives. I'm not going to lie to you. Samuel understood that. God expects parents of today to, to be people not only of words, but of also of action. Do whatever it takes to represent your family well. So, compromise the enemy of godly parenting. God holds parents responsible for their children's training. And then lastly, eventually children are responsible for their own actions and their own choices. Both Eli and Samuel had surrounded their sons with traditions of worship. They had written words of Scripture. By their own choosing, however, all four sons headed in ungodly directions. Eli's sons paid a terrible price for their sins. Samuel's sons might have been spared the same treatment because their father hadn't kept them in positions of national leadership once they'd proven to be unethical leaders. No matter what you might hear on national television, every problem in our present day and age is not the problem of your parents. It is not you parents' problem. Your children are being influenced. And they're being influenced by evil. And trust me, evil will rise when parents don't stay engaged. You've got to stay engaged. I always got the nudge at 12.01 when they were supposed to be in at 12. How she knew it was 12.01. How did she know from the back bedroom that that, that door opened the way it did? How did she know that? How did she know to walk out there and catch him coming in? That was even more fun. How did she know that? I'm telling you, when mamas bear babies, there's something happens to them. Eyes grow in the back of their head and hiding that hair. They get a sensitivity to sound, sight, and smell. How many nudges did I get to wake up and make sure I confronted them boys and I'd only go in and confront them and fall asleep with them by their bed? <laughs> we talked about it the next day. But choices carry consequences. 
Galatians 6, 7 and 9 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Parents, it's a tough job. Dads, it is a tough, tough job. Make time. I love the story of the dad that would come home every day, take his boots, his work clothes off, and hang them on, the, on a little tree right by the door before he went in. And a friend asked you, said, man, I see you do this consistently. Every day you hang your, your stuff out there. He says, you know, the stuff that went on at work, all the bad stuff, all the mean stuff, all the hateful words I heard, he said, I hang them on the hanging tree, and I don't take them in my house. So when you walk in, dads, put a smile on your face. You may have had a terrible, terrible day. Got you. But when you see your kids and your kids are anxious and, and can't wait to have a moment of your time, that's what I love about pets, don't you? You can be gone. I mean, you can be gone for 10 minutes and you come back in and it's, it's like you've been gone for days. <laughs> they can't wait to see you. They can't wait to hug on you, lick on your face. <laughs> and the thing about my grandson, Champ, when he licks you, man, I'm telling you, you've been licked. That's a big old dog. But I mean... I mean. But isn't that what it's about? Dads, just hang it outside and bring inside the love of Jesus. The grief of watching an ungodly child is severe for any parent. But I want to tell you there's good news. I want to tell you there's great news. And the reason, there's a reason, reason that godly parents keep praying. The Bible's full of people, full of people who were headed down the wrong path, like Eli's sons. And Samuel's sons, but who heard the warning of God. They heeded the words of God. And they benefited from the blessings of God as they changed their ways. There was David, a man who recovered from a deadly mistake late in his life. He became a greater man seeking after God's own heart. There were kings like Rehoboam, Abijah, and Asa. These were men who saw evil but took action to correct it. And then there were people like Simon Peter and Zacchaeus and a nameless thief on the cross. They met Jesus and their lives were transformed. Throughout history, millions of people have changed their course. They have been rescued by the same repentance, the same willingness to actually change evil ways. And the decision to change today will bring enormous benefit for the future. And perhaps... For all eternity. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you this morning, as we conclude our service and get ready for our invitation time, I ask you, Lord, to be very real to us this morning. Father, there are parents who are struggling as parents today. They want to do the right thing. They are striving to do the right thing. But their children are being influenced by those forces around them that are somewhat out of the parents' control. Father, I'm praying for the children here today that they will listen to the prompting of Your Spirit. When they sense it's wrong, flee from that evil. God, would You give them a sense that listening and obeying their parents is the right thing to do. And God, would You give these moms and these dads especially, as we honor them today, would You give these dads that extra measure of Your spiritual discipline, Your spiritual life in them? 
Father, would that come alive? Would that begin to blossom? Would that begin to be obvious? Father, would, if they are haters, would they become lovers? If they speak evil, would they speak kindness? Father, if they are men who don't hug, would they hug? Because, Father, life is too short. We can be snatched instantly. And the legacy we leave will depend on how much we love our children and discipline our children. In fact, in Hebrews, you tell us that as a father loves his child, so our Heavenly Father disciplines us. So God, today, would you be real? Be in us, through us. If we're on the edge of compromise, help us to stand firm. And our children will be eternally grateful. They'll hate us for the moment. But Father, if we do it in love and do it based on your word, it will not return void. So Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And if somebody's here today, God, move in their heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Got an invitation song. If God's touching your heart, Let's uh, move on that. We've got our elders here at the front to pray with you. Uh, They don't have to know exactly what it is that's bothering you. They're just ready to pray with you. Great song. Sing the first verse in chorus. I'd rather have Jesus. Let's stay in the same.